The Central Epidemic Command Center in one breath announced 22 new imported cases of COVID-19 on Sunday. That's a high daily figure for Taiwan. Among them, 17 came from a group of 642 Indonesian immigrant workers who had entered Taiwan and assigned to a centralized quarantine station. The 17 were retested for the coronavirus and were found to be positive this time around. The other five cases were Filipino and Indonesian nationals. In the face of soaring numbers of imported cases from Indonesia, a CECC official said the nation's medical resources are feeling the strain. In a single day, Taiwan erupted with 22 imported cases of COVID-19. 17 of these cases, number 696 to 712, came from a group of 642 Indonesian migrant workers who had been required by the Central Epidemic Command Centre to be retested. The remaining five cases amounted to three Indonesians and two Filipinos. Their ages ranged from the 20s to over 40. As Taiwan enters winter, the nation's confirmed cases have been soaring, and the majority of them have been Indonesian migrant workers, putting the Central Epidemic Command Centre on edge. We discovered that when they had completed their quarantine in the quarantine station where they were all concentrated in, and we tested them ourselves, there was an upward trend for Indonesian confirmed cases. This is indeed putting considerable pressure on us in our quarantine stations because we currently have around 1,000 Indonesian migrant workers in our quarantine stations and they are still undergoing quarantine. The CECC admitted that over the past 10 days, over 60 new confirmed cases had come from an Indonesian quarantine station. Such a figure is putting pressure on the nation's medical and quarantine facilities. It earlier announced that starting on December the 4th, there would be a temporary two-week ban on incoming Indonesian workers. After this, the CECC would conduct a rolling review, depending on the situation. Negative pressure wards in hospitals are also under considerable pressure. We need time to breathe so that our quarantine stations can be prepared and disinfected and that the relevant measures can be carried out better. During the two weeks ban, we can review once again the implementation of our entire SOPs for allowing them in. This will minimise the possibility of community spread of the disease down to the lowest level. The CECC commander stated that the strategies to control imported cases still need to be reviewed so that Taiwan's medical resources can be once again brought into a state of readiness to prevent incoming infected foreign workers spreading the disease in local communities. Taipei's Banga Qingshan Temple held its grand ceremony Sunday where an effigy of a Three Kingdoms general was carried around. President Tsai personally helped carry his sedan. She also used the occasion to remind the public not to let their guard down when it comes to epidemic prevention, given that COVID is still severe. You must wear a mask in public places and wash your hands frequently. Now the weather is getting cold, so the epidemic will be more serious. The main reason why we are able to live normal lives and our economy can develop is the unity of the Taiwanese people. The blessings of the gods is also very important. 
we must say to them, thank you. In the early hours of Sunday morning, a migrant worker who had come in contact with a COVID-19 carrier was tracked down in Taipei City. Was this a loophole in epidemic prevention? In an interview, Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe said Taipei has a three-tiered epidemic prevention strategy. If there was a breach, his government would activate epidemic prevention measures such as a ban on eating in a group. Repair work on a rail line in northeastern Taiwan that was damaged by a landslide on Friday will take longer than originally expected, and the line will not be back in operation until December 13th, according to Transportation Minister Lin Jialong. The continuous rain in the region has made the already difficult repair work a Herculean task. An estimated 1,000 truckloads of soil will need to be transported out of the area before new rails and power lines can be installed. Backhoes are busy digging on the hill over the section of train track between Raifang and Holtung, which is now buried by the landslide. The repair crew is doing all they can to get the track in working order again. Transportation Minister Lin Jialong returned to the scene on Sunday morning to get the latest. The unrelenting rain has turned the site muddy, stymieing the progress of the crew. It was originally expected the track would be back in operation on December the 8th, but now it is all but certain that the work will take longer. It will take about three to four days to clear everything away, and then the rails and power lines will have to be put in. Therefore, our preliminary assessment is that it will take about a week before the train traffic can be restored. The damaged section is expected to be fully repaired on December the 13th at the earliest. As much as 10,000 cubic metres of earth needs to be cleared from the site. And as of Saturday night, about 600 cubic metres have been removed. By the end of the day Sunday, another 2,000 cubic metres is expected to be cleared. Currently 40 trucks on the Holtung side are busily transporting the earth out of the area and another 26 trucks are standing by at the Raifang side. We are now only able to clear the earth from one side. On the other side, the soil is loose and saturated with water. If we can clear from both sides, we will be able to double the speed. Yesterday we cleared away more than 600 cubic metres. If we can take another 2,000 cubic metres away on Sunday, we will reach one third of our goal. Due to the unique makeup of the soil at the site, the earth is soft at places and hard at other places, and the heavy rain has only made the work more difficult. The work crew has laid steel plates on the ground and put up steel piles to shore up the earth to allow backhoes and other machinery easier entry and exit. We brought in 30 steel plates from Tucheng and laid them from the bottom up to create an access path. Can the repair work speed up any more? It all depends on the weather. And speaking of the weather, under the influence of northeasterly seasonal winds, Taiwan experienced its coldest temperature so far this winter. 13.3 degrees was recorded in the village of Dahe in Miaoli. The rainy and cold weather has continued in northern regions, while mountainous regions have become prone to landslides and rockfalls. The rain is not expected to let up until Wednesday, but even then, there will still be significant moisture in the air, leading to possible showers. 
The temperature is expected to dip again next Saturday when a new wave of seasonal winds arrives. White steam blew out when this steam soup dumpling basket was opened up. People love to eat hot food in winter to warm up. Waiting for the bus, some wore wool hats and down padded jackets to guard against the cold. As the sky overhead was filled with fine drizzle. 第一个就是在下周二之前，啊，台湾都还是属于。Before next Tuesday, Taiwan will be subject to weather patterns associated with the northeasterly seasonal winds. The first thing to watch out for is strong winds and high waves, as they are connected with the northeasterly seasonal winds. Therefore, in regions north of Taiwan, the eastern seaboard, the Hengchun Peninsula, and the outlying islands, there will be gusts of level eight to level ten winds. As the northeasterly seasonal winds continue to flourish, at just after 5 a.m., temperatures in Daohe Village in Miaoli and Junglian Township in Nantou fell to the lowest temperatures this winter has seen so far, at 13.3 degrees and 13.8 degrees, owing to a radiative cooling effect. Taiwan's northern and eastern regions will continue to see wet and cool weather for the first part of the coming week, with each region seeing its highest temperature of roughly 20 degrees. On Wednesday, it will warm up a bit, with 24 degrees expected in the northern regions, and the lowest temperatures throughout Taiwan are expected to range from 19 to 21 degrees. However, beginning on Saturday, another wave of northeasterly seasonal winds will arrive, and temperatures will plummet again. The central, northern, and northeastern regions could see lows of 17 degrees. 那到了下周三之后，整个东北季风稍微减。After Wednesday, this wave of northeasterly seasonal winds will weaken slightly, but there will be a little more moisture in the air. At that time, although there could still be rain, overall the rate of precipitation could slow down a little. As the water vapor continues to increase, the current pattern of rainfall will continue until Tuesday. On Wednesday, the cold air will weaken and the probability of rainfall will decrease. Still, as the current weather remains wet and cold, the public is urged to bundle up in preparation for the next cold snap. Well, it's been more than four months since the launch of the Triple Stimulus Voucher Program, and most people have already spent their vouchers. However, according to the Economics Ministry, three percent of people entitled to these vouchers have yet to claim them. In addition, among the issued paper vouchers, eight and a half billion NT worth of those have yet to be used, standing at 13 percent. With less than one month to go before both the claim date and usage date expire, hoteliers are ratcheting up special discounts, such as a free extra night or two buffet meals for the price of one. Customers can also be awarded vouchers for weekday accommodation. The aim is to encourage those who have not used their triple stimulus vouchers to use them by offering bargains before the program draws to a close. Artificial intelligence isn't usually the first thing that comes to mind when thinking about farming. But today, with global warming underway, farmers are reaching for new technologies to stay ahead of a shifting climate. Today, in our Sunday special report, we head down to Gaosheng to visit Yongling Farm, a high-tech pioneer. Join us as we see how they've incorporated smart tech to optimize operations. At this farm, everything from growing to harvesting and even marketing is supported by advanced technology. 
Li Mingcang, a consultant at Yongling Farm, carefully inspects each leaf. If he discovers a disease or pest, he photographs it and uploads it to the farm's smart agriculture management platform, informing the farm's phytopathologist. This smart platform was designed by Yongling Farm and it's its pride and joy. In recent years, farmers have increasingly turned to smart technology to cope with extreme weather brought by global warming. Farming was once about watching the skies, it's now about integrating AI. In Taiwan, heat stress is a major problem. Second to that is the water supply issue, followed by the accumulation of salts. Detection systems are a huge help. You don't need to dig up plants and send them to the school for testing. You can get clear information from the sensors. Here in the farm's experimental orchard, these passion fruits are different from those grown traditionally. These fruits are grown away from the soil to prevent their water source from becoming a medium for disease transmission. Aside from this, the orchard is equipped with sensors to monitor growth. The main purpose of this device is to monitor the plants in a greenhouse and collect their EC and pH levels, as well as the moisture levels in the soil. It transmits the data directly to the smart platform. The next time I plant seedlings, I can adjust the fertilizer content based on the data it collects. Soil, temperature, moisture, through this small sensor and the data lines connected to it, all of these things can be measured and graphed on the computer. The upgraded version can even be integrated with hardware on the farm. Once levels reach a specified measurement, the system will automatically activate fans and sprinklers. These days in Taiwan, we basically don't have a fall season like we used to, and winters don't really get cold. Spring, on the other hand, just like spring this year, has become cooler. So the whole of the seasons is unlike the way they were in the past. If I use some technological farming equipment, it can help me to record environmental conditions over the course of the year. When I look back at the year, I can run analyses based on this data. Liu Weiting, who studied agriculture, said that very few of his classmates ended up working in the industry. But Liu himself takes delight in the hardships of farming. To me, harvesting the passion fruit is relatively interesting. It's easier than harvesting vegetables in a greenhouse. Each passion fruit I pick fills me with a sense of accomplishment. Before each passion fruit reaches the hands of a consumer, it goes through one food safety check after another. Liu carries infected fruit samples to the farm's research center. This is one of the few organic microorganism laboratories in the country. The lab conducts rigorous testing on the fruit and vegetables brought there. After all, as the largest organic farm in the country, Yongling Farm grows over 300 types of produce annually. From food safety to production and marketing, at no step of the way can it afford to be careless. From sprouting to harvest, these vegetables take 45 days to produce. Before they can be packaged, they must undergo pressure cooling, which slows their aging process and extends the shelf life to 7 or 8 days. Before packages are shipped off, they are graded and separated by quality. 
After the vegetables are taken out of the cooling process, we still need to put them through a beauty contest. After that beauty contest, they end up in front of the consumer, and when the consumer is choosing a package, they get that feeling like, wow, this one is mine. In the 16-degree temperature packaging room, roughly a dozen people are working away. After manual separation, the best vegetables are sent to an automatic packaging machine. A sticker with production information is affixed, and the packages are boxed up to be shipped off to market. Low-grade vegetables are not to be wasted. After being cut up and roasted, they are added to brown rice and put through a machine, which turns the mixture into rice crackers, adding value to the farm's produce. Normally, a package of vegetables can be sold for only 40 or 50 NT. Through additional processing, one gram can go for 60 or 70 NT, irrespective of price fluctuations. Agriculture is a first-grade industry. It is the first step in putting food on the table. If we add value to it, for example, by changing the way the produce tastes, then it can be fully integrated into daily life. Eleven years ago, a charitable foundation established Zhongling Farm in Gaoxiong Shanlin Township. In the wake of Typhoon Morakot, the farm offered steady work to storm victims so that they could make a living and potentially become entrepreneurs. It also encouraged youth to join its cooperative so that they could become partners of the farm. They can use the equipment, technologies, and systems that we established. We also help them establish various sales channels. Under this cooperative, the farmers help each other out. Chiu Chuixun, 25, joined the Youth Agricultural Cooperative last year. Under the guidance of an experienced agricultural consultant, he has successfully cultivated the rarely grown yellow dragon fruit. For instance, I might not be able to find any help to hire. I might be on my own. These technologies can help me with a lot of things. A small-scale farmer doesn't have a lot of financial resources. Say that I want to work only a small plot. It wouldn't make financial sense to invest in all this equipment. But in terms of capital, the cooperative is able to purchase things in large quantities, so they can pressure the seller for a lower price. To fight alone means to have no resources and to be without the latest information. It's very hard to do business like that. When there's an organization like this, older farmers can pass on their skills and experience. What younger farmers lack most are resources and experience. Through the sharing of resources, the cooperative makes it easier for prospective farmers to get started. Then, after that hurdle is cleared, it helps them sell their produce. The cooperative can bring the produce of many farmers together and leverage this when talking to buyers. They can say, "I've got this much product." It makes the buyer more willing to talk. Small-scale farmers only have a bit of product. It's hard to find sales channels on their own. If produce is to be sold at a good price, farmers need to have a production plan. They need to look at the needs of the market and then decide what to plant, how much to plant, and how long to grow it. This way, they can avoid the price fluctuations that come from an imbalance in supply and demand. In the past, agricultural products went from the producer to the distributor, the wholesaler, which would get it to the consumer. But organic produce is a special market. It isn't impacted by price fluctuations. It's a fixed price. 
So if your product is good enough and your brand strong enough, that's enough for the customer. You don't need to deal with all the middlemen or any of the costs associated with them. Tech-powered farming is changing the landscape of agriculture. It's also drawing more and more young people to the industry. We hope to help farmers become their own bosses, because if they are employees, then they only have a fixed income. No matter how hard they worked, no matter how meticulously they cared for their crops, their income was always limited. However, under the cooperative, farmers are a group. They can see the results of their hard work and receive a proportionately higher income. Farming is hard work, but for this new generation of farmers, the moment of the harvest makes it all worth it. In this line of work, you need to be out in the sun, and you sweat quite a lot. Compared with other types of work, it is really quite tiring. However, when I see the crops I planted growing well, I really have a sense of success. Organic farming is at the mercy of nature. To eke out a living from the land, farmers must break out of the mold of traditional farming and turn Taiwan's agricultural industry on its head. Handshake and drinks are big business in Taiwan and never more so than this year. With the global coronavirus keeping people at home, demand for drinks has soared. There are now just under 20,000 handshake and drink stores across the country. But that means competition is fierce. Add ice and shake even, your bubble tea's ready. It could be Taiwan's national drink. On this 60-meter stretch of street, seven or eight tea shops jostle for customers, almost as ubiquitous as a convenience store. Finance Ministry statistics reveal that in 2018, the handshaking drink market counted 17,157 stores. In 2020, that's grown to 19,970. A store of just 10 paying floor space can make 20,000 to 30,000 a month on average. Opening a store doesn't incur too much overhead, and with such high profits, is a top choice for would-be entrepreneurs. We see handshake and drink stores continuing to grow because of COVID-19. So there's intense demand for vacations in Taiwan or domestic demand. Also, there's the rise of digital platforms, lots of delivery sales and promotion by internet celebrities. But in the end, it comes down first to branding, brand identity and brand management, or even what we call product quality. But stores can close as easily as they open. In established markets, business owners need robust and flexible strategies. In the future, as we develop this product, we will emphasize that it's slightly less sweet. But it still has to taste good and look good and be something you can take a nice photo of. We will put a lot of thought into our online marketing and exposure. A big market has a lot of competition. To make good money, you've got to come up with the goods.